Hi everyone, this week on Feed Fanatics, we find out what GDP means and what the government should do to improve the South African economy. We have an exciting show ahead, so stay tuned. So welcome to Freedom Fanatics. This is a production of the Freedom Advocacy Network. And each week we discuss the latest fan content with our authors and our creators right here. My name is Solon. And this week I'm joined by a first-time guest, um, David, who is the Chief Operating Officer at the Center for Risk Analysis. And then we also have the usual Alex, who is our Digital Content Coordinator here at FAN. Um, thank you guys for making the time. Um, and I think we can get straight into it. So first we'll be looking at our latest explainer video which is titled Fighting for Real Economic Empowerment, What is GDP? Let's have a quick watch. Whenever politicians or economists talk about the economy, it often sounds like wara wara waffle. To make economic policy something you can use to fight for freedom, let's un wara wara a key economic term, GDP. GDP, or gross domestic product, is the total sum of money that would be needed to buy every finished product and every available service in a country in one year. High GDP growth means an economy is doing well, people and businesses producing lots of products and services. People living in countries with high economies and high GDP growth are healthier, happier and better educated. In South Africa, high levels of GDP growth were achieved between 1994 and 2007, improving lives across all racial groups. The number of people employed doubled. Access to housing, water and electricity increased by 200%. During this period, the government did not max out its credit card, falling into debt, and had a relatively free economy where people had the freedom to trade without too much government interference. The country also benefited from a global commodity boom. People wanted to buy what we were selling. But since the financial crisis of 2007, South Africa's economy has fared poorly. Freedom to trade has suffered due to the government interfering with onerous and expensive laws and regulations. To implement them, Government has become bigger, costing the taxpayer more. Higher taxes to pay more government salaries, higher costs for businesses to comply with more complex rules, and of course, more corruption. The first step in fighting for freedom is using knowledge to challenge those in power. The next time a politician promises you a better life, ask them, how will your policies make it easier for ordinary people to trade and make life better by boosting our GDP. Your freedom is worth fighting for. Join FAN today to build a new tomorrow. 
So David, I'll come to you um, first. Um, something I'll explain the video highlights, and I think it's quite evident, is that people living in countries with healthy economies and high GDP growth tend to be healthier, um, happier, and better educated. And I think we see that pro-free market policies improve lives and boost GDP. And this is um, evident across the world in Botswana, in South Korea, in Singapore, and of course in the West. What are your thoughts on that? Well, Shalin, that explainer video I thought was a really excellent and succinct description of the power of economic growth and why GDP is a number that we obsess about as analysts, but also uh, economists and ordinary people should really be very much focused on that figure. So as the explainer described, uh, GDP measures the aggregate amount of goods and services produced in an economy in any given year. Um, there are a couple of different measures. So there's a nominal GDP, which includes increases in prices. Uh, so you may have listen to your, your grandparents telling you that when they were young, uh, the cost of uh, going to the cinema was about one rand and they could buy a Coke and a box of popcorn. Uh, but now if you had to go to the cinema, you'd probably uh, spend about a hundred rand. Uh, so that is a reflection of inflation and increases in prices. So nominal GDP increases include inflation as that just measures that increase in prices. Uh, but real GDP takes into account inflation and adjusts for inflation. So you'll often see uh, that real GDP is measured according to, uh, for example, 2009 prices. So that adjusts the, the measure of aggregate growth in the economy and takes into account uh, those, uh, those price increases as well. And then there's also something called GDP per capita, which takes into account the size of the population. Uh, so different countries have different population sizes that, and those population sizes fluctuate over time. So GDP per capita measures the wealth of an average citizen of a country. And so you also want to see that going up because uh, you might have a situation where you have very high inequality and aggregate GDP is going up, but your average person is staying poorer. So you also want uh, the median uh, GDP to go up. Um, but just to your initial question, uh, GDP growth is not some abstraction. It really impacts on people's quality of life, their life opportunities, and their, their standard of living. Uh, so you mentioned South Korea there, and my brother lives in South Korea. And uh, if you go back to immediately after the Civil War uh, ended in the 1950s, 1954, South Korea was actually a very poor country and had the same GDP as Ghana did. And Ghana was about to be, um, it was in the process of uh, decolonizing. And so those two countries started at the same point, essentially. Uh, but today, Korea is one of the wealthiest countries in the world uh, on a GDP per capita basis, but also aggregate GDP. And today, Ghana, whilst it's, it's growing nicely, it's coming from uh, you know, still, uh, many decades of wasted opportunities, lost growth. And so there's what economists would call an opportunity cost there that uh, Ghana is now playing catch up. But, uh, you know, the life of your average Korean is a lot better than the life of your, your average Ghanaian. And so I think that really underscores the importance of growth. And also growth compounds over time. Um, so growth building upon growth 
creates uh, massive amounts of economic opportunity for people. Yeah, thanks for that, David. And Alex, um, I'm coming to you right now. So, so another thing our explainer video actually touches on is that since the financial crisis in 2007-2008, um, we have seen that South Africa has been struggling um, um, economically. And another event that coincided with this period was um, the political transition within the ANC, where we saw um, Tabum Beki being removed and later on Jacob Zuma actually taking a long-term range of the ANC. And his squad, um, the RDT faction, I think, um, you know, they, they, it was the moment to shine. Was there a change of policy we saw as well? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, into, I think David can probably better speak to, to the actual policies that were implemented. I mean, I know when I was in, in school during those glorious early 2000s, we learned about gear. Um, and yeah. obviously, when you're a kid, you, you get taught to learn these acronyms. Um, but, but I think that that was a, a great Kickstarter for, for South Africa's economy. And since then, uh, the, I mean, it, it's difficult to say because the, the sort of really devastating policies, internal policies of the African National Congress, obviously run our government, um, you know, things like cadre deployment uh, were implemented, I think, even under Mandela, you know, black economic empowerment, which we've spoken about before, that was that was implemented around 2002, 2003. Mm -hmm. um, but those are more internal mechanisms. But what they meant is that when it came to that change over in, um, in leadership of the ANC, they doubled down on those ideas and used policy um, to really leverage it to their own, uh, their own sort of gain, um, as we, we know, during during Zuma's years. So I think I think David might be able to to speak more to the, what policies were were it were implemented um, themselves. Yeah, David, um, you might be muted. Um, but yeah, David, just your quick thoughts on the policies. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the the key difference, and Alex is right, a lot of some of the harmful policies that we are now burdened with today actually had their origins in the Mbeki era. So we shouldn't be uh, giving the Mbeki administration too much of a free pass. But one thing that they did do exceptionally well is control government spending. And uh, so that's the difference between the revenue that government generates from taxation uh, and the expenditure. So government spends on public services, hospitals, schools, roads, policing. Uh, and uh, for many years during the apartheid era, as there were states of emergency and apartheid was kind of essentially collapsing, the government, the National Party government spent well beyond its means. And during the transition, there was a lot of uh, very high government spending. And there was a period for a couple of years, uh, 1994, 1995, where the government was trying to uh, increase spending in a kind of redistributionist way. And Thabo Mbeki and his, uh, his gang, uh, Trevor Manuel uh, and, and others, who Trevor Manuel became the finance minister, they set about to curtail government spending and to reduce that deficit, the difference between revenue and expenditure. And they actually uh, succeeded in not only reducing that deficit, but actually creating a fiscal surplus, which was unheard of at the time for an emerging market. So they collected more money than they actually spent. Um, so that enabled the government actually uh, to, uh, you know, to spend more on 
uh, on other social services. So in a bizarre way, being more prudent enabled them to spend more. Uh, but why did they? Why were they able to collect more revenues? Well, because they implemented policies uh, that uh, encouraged businesses to invest, to uh, create new jobs, um, and a lot of those, a lot of those uh, dividends came from the mining sector. There was a global a commodities super cycle. Uh, there were a lot of opportunities uh, for foreign investors to come in. It was a kind of a good story for South Africa to tell. It was the build-up to the World Cup. But all of this came crashing down in 2007-2008 with two events, the global financial crisis as well as the election of Jacob Zuma to become president of the ANC. And uh, unfortunately, that introduced a new era of government excess, uh, corruption, uh, mm -hmm. and and really a, a big bloated administration uh, that had a lot of very harmful policies, but also very confusing policies uh, for investors. And so what we saw during the 2010s was a, a kind of a gradual decline, like a slow puncture. Um, and today we are stuck with very, very low uh, rates of economic growth, very high government spending, and governments also borrowing increasingly much more money in order to finance its activities. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's a ratio called the debt to GDP ratio, which is the percentage of debt as an expression of overall GDP. And uh, in that period, in the mid 2000s, uh, as I think your explainer video showed, uh, there was high growth. So we were able to get debt down to about 26%. Today it's now rocketed up to about 80%. Um, and so, that means that government is increasingly spending more and more of its budget just on paying back the principal and the interest on debt. Uh, so that means that uh, essentially we're spending about as much money on paying back debt every year as we are on our entire healthcare budget. So just think of what you could do uh, with that money. And uh, yeah, luckily we still have uh, lenders internationally who are willing to, to lend us money, but we're essentially operating on borrowed time there. And we need to, uh, to, to bring that debt to GDP ratio down again. Yeah, as always, David, your insights are incredible. Um, Alex, I actually also want to relate something um, that David was speaking on, which was the um, South Africa's debt. And an article that we actually um, published on FAN, um, which is titled, um, Politicians Should Strive for Less and Not More Government. Um, actually, highlights an important point that for and gives us a solution to this problem is that for us to solve and tackle overall wasteful spending and loss of money due to cor corruption, um, there's actually a proposal by the um, South African Institute of Race Relations, um, which actually is titled um, the Non-Racial Economic Empowerment for the Disadvantaged. And this essentially attempts to um, direct the, fun, the funds for um, housing, education, and healthcare into vouchers that are given directly to um, South, ordinary South Africans, if you don't mind for just a minute speaking towards that. Yeah, for sure. So I think what's important here is that, um, so linking back to, to what I mentioned earlier about the, the sort of card, the deployment networks and BE, these are the mechanisms that the government uses to enrich themselves. And so what what the policy the need policy does is essentially takes away that mechanism for that middleman transaction. You know you can't 
have some cadre who's going to help you facilitate PPE equipment between users and and the government or suppliers. And what so, for example, as a healthcare voucher, what you would do is is ordinary citizens would get a voucher and they then can decide how they want to spend it, whether they want to go to a state hospital, to a private hospital. Um, it's up to them if they want to go to a pharmacy to get um, drugs that they need to to assist them with their health. So be it. But it, it takes it gives the power back to people. Um, yeah. And that's that, that that is the ultimate goal to to help people solve the problems that they have without that money being wasted. Um, and mm -hmm. there's a lot of that that goes to waste in uh, in in South Africa. And just to add, just one last point to add is in terms of size of government is we saw Zuma's the one thing that did change when Zuma came to power is he we saw the massive inflation of the size of the cabinet. And so there were way more government employees to pay. And as we mentioned in the explainer video, um, you know, more salaries to pay, which means more taxpayer money is going towards people who aren't necessarily adding value to to the country or serving South Africans regrettably, unfortunately. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, guys, thank you for your thoughts um, on our explainer video and our article. And to our viewers, you can find all our written content on our website, freedomadvocacy.net. And we have now reached the end of this episode. Um, so don't forget to catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and IGTV. Wherever you are on social media, that's where we are. And to join fan and support our fight for freedom, you can sign up at freedomadvocacy.net. So remember, guys, that your freedom is worth fighting for.